This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. How you doing, bro? Just groovy, Allison. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited. I really love America. So do I. Like I get like I actually tear up every time I go to a baseball game and they play the national anthem, like I just get choked up. And so this is a great episode for me. Because America. <laughs> America is a diverse country. And I'm not just talking about the people, but also the topography, the climate, the little microeconomies. This country has something for everyone. Mountains, beaches, plains, deserts, you name it. Cities, suburbs, weird little artist communes where people do macrame in the nude. We got that. I assume. I don't know for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, where is this place? <laughs> but what spot in America is truly the best for living a wealthy, healthy, foolish life? We're going to tackle that question. We'll also answer your question about how to judge your investment returns. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers, and today's question comes from Jordan. Jordan writes, Brokat mentioned a couple months ago that most individual investors actually lose money in the stock market because when markets drop, many people sell everything at a loss and call it quits. My question is simple. How should I judge my investment returns? Uh, Jordan continues, when I started investing, my goal was to make a profit, and then I shifted to a more loftier goal of beating the S&P 500. I figured if I couldn't beat the S&P, I may as well just be fully invested in ETFs. So, Jordan's wondering if aiming for returns above the S&P is a good goal for the average investor. Well, hello, Jordan. Um, I'm not sure I said most investors lose money. I certainly said that most investors actually underperform the market, as do most, most mutual fund managers. So, you're asking a great great question. You're asking essentially, if I'm going to be picking individual stocks, how do I make sure I'm beating the market? Because otherwise, why, why not just invest in the market and and go find other things to do with your time? Um, so it's actually a little more difficult to do than you might think, um, partially because people often make multiple purchases of the same stock, and then there's a question of what you do with dividends. So let's look at a very simple example. Let's say you just bought. Berkshire Hathaway stock just made one purchase, held it for 10 years. It'd be pretty easy to compare that to the overall market. But what if you made 10 purchases over 10 years? Five of those beat the market, but five didn't because you didn't buy it at the right time. Does that make you a good stock picker or not? Then there's a question of dividends. If you have a stock that pays a dividend, like Coke or Walmart or something like that, and you look up the performance of that stock on a site like Morningstar, Yahoo Finance, it assumes that you are reinvesting the dividends. But a lot of people don't. They either spend that cash or just let it sit there in cash. So really, the best thing to do is to take the value of your entire stock portfolio, including the cash, so let's say that account is maybe worth $30,000. Create sort of a mock portfolio account using an online service like The Fool's Scorecard or Morningstar, Yahoo Finance. And all you're going to do is, is put in that your benchmark, which most people do choose the S&P 500. So you just put in there SPY, which is SPY. It's an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. That's the only thing that's going to be in that benchmark. You're going to put that $30,000 in there. Anytime you add money to your actual portfolio, you also add money to this mock benchmark portfolio. If you take money out the same way, because then you're not just tracking, you're not looking just at the individual investments. You're looking at the growth of the value of the portfolio, and that's 
really what's important. You want to know that this account, is it growing at the same rate as if I had just put all that money in the S&P 500? A lot of people will look at their portfolios and look at their individual holdings, for example, individual stocks, and say that maybe seven of them are beating the market, but three aren't, and feel pretty good about that. But if the three that are underperforming actually had more money in it, you actually may not be keeping up with the S&P 500. Another thing, another thing that some people will do is they will look at their stocks and compare them to the S&P 500, but they don't factor in the cash that they have in their accounts, and that's an important part of your overall return and your decisions as an investor. Do I let that cash sit there, or do I invest it? So that's why I like comparing the actual value of the whole account versus some mock portfolio online, because it also keeps you accountable for your decisions of keeping some money in cash, because you want to play it safe, or if you're fully invested. So, the SPY is the way to go, and that's essentially the S&P. That's the S&P 500. I, I do think that S&P 500, we've talked about this in previous episodes, it's an index of large company stocks, 500 stocks. The overall stock market has thousands of stocks. So, if you really, I think is actually a better benchmark, is the Vanguard Total Market ETF, and the symbol is VTI, because that includes some mid-caps and some small caps. But most people do compare themselves to the S&P 500, so I think that's fine to do. Yeah, and I think in the um, Motley Fool scorecard, at least, it automatically will compare at least every individual investment. And I know there have been many times when I've looked to see how my stocks have done, and I've thought, oh, look, I'm doing awesome! And then it says, compared to the S&P, and I then go, wah, wah. Wah, wah. Right. But that's okay. Yeah, and you have to look at it over a longer period of time. Some people say three years, almost even has to be longer, over five years. We've talked before about how small stocks beat large stocks over the long term. That's not been the case over the last five years. So, you might be a really good picker of small cap stocks, but you won't look so good compared to the S&P 500 if all you do is focus on the last few years. You look over the last 10 years, and you still haven't beaten the S&P 500, then maybe you don't have what it takes. Aww, oh, sorry. Buy the index fund, go out and have fun. Do other things with your time. There you go. Everybody wins. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Just Google the term best places to live, and everyone has their own opinion. Kiplinger, for example, says that South Dakota is the best place to retire. Woof. No offense, but. Okay, well, actually, yeah, some offense. Uh, I think we can do better than South Dakota. And we're going to use science and stats to determine the best place to live a healthy, wealthy, and foolish life. The reason why Kiplinger picked South Dakota was mostly for how far your money will go. Um, it's a cheap place to live. But if we're being honest, when there is literally nothing for you to do but freeze your tukas off, how happy is that pile of money going to make you outside of setting it on fire? So, again, Sorry, not sorry, South Dakota. Have you been to South Dakota? No, but one it's of a my favorite state. one of my favorite people in the world is from South Dakota, Amber. That's right. It's a beautiful state, Mount Rushmore. I know that's what they said in their write up. They're like, "Hey, and your family could come visit you at Mount Rushmore," and I'm like, "One time." I know Rick just held up his finger and yes. said, "One time," and I was like, "That's right. They'll want to come visit you one time." Yeah, and it's a big state. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Is it really pretty? Yeah, it's very mountainous, and I mean, if you like the mountains, yes, it's a beautiful state. Are they nice mountains? If you like beaches, from, it's not Idaho. a beautiful state. I'm from Idaho, and we got mountains in Idaho. There are other states with better mountains. Yeah, there are other better mountains out there. You say so. 
<laughs> Man, you're, you're I'm just really trying to. Hold, I'm just Robert trying to. brought to you by the South Dakota Chamber of Commerce. I'm just trying to hold on to the five South Dakota listeners we have. That's true. I'm sorry. You're all good people. <laughs> I love the people of South Dakota. All right, but it's a cold place to live. It is a cold place to live. So. Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the research that we think matters, and that starts with looking at per capita income. Why does this matter, bro? Well, I think one thing, of course, being a financial podcast as we are, we would like to highlight, starting with, just plain old money. Where can you live to make a decent living? So we looked at per household income, and the top five states as of 2014, according to the Census Bureau, are Maryland, New Hampshire, Hawaii, Connecticut, and this is somewhat controversial, D.C. Okay, it's not really a state, but they did include it. If you took that one out, the fifth state would be Alaska. All right. Um, And D.C. and Maryland, of course, are related. Maryland has a lot of its wealth tied up to being a suburb of Washington, D.C. That's part of why Virginia is number eight on the list. Alaska do a large part to the oil industry. Um, What I think is interesting, so Maryland's number one household income average of 76,000. Mm-hmm. You may recall a study from a few years ago out of Princeton that found that to the degree money buys happiness, $75,000 was the limit because that takes care of all your needs. Oh. Once you start making money beyond that, it's just gravy. It's just gravy. And this is from 2008, 2009, so if we adjusted it for inflation, it'd be a little closer to $80,000. I really like gravy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Says the guy from Maryland, by the way, the, the resident from Maryland. I just think it's interesting that no state has an average per household income at that level of happiness. Yeah. And if we look at the bottom of the list. Yeah, bottom of the list. So you're looking there at Kentucky, Louisiana, Alabama, West Virginia, Mississippi, and we're talking 42000 or so for Kentucky down to Mississippi for $35,000. Wow. Yeah. All right. But of course, income isn't the whole story because high income might not be enough to pay for the higher costs of living in some of these states. So, what's the next stat we're going to look at, bro? Yes. And and as people who live in the DC area, we can point out that this is. It's uh, expensive. It's expensive. If if you did include DC as a state, it is the most expensive state to live in. Oh. Yep. Metro region, I think New York and San Francisco got us beat, but it's pretty expensive. So, we're going to look at something, uh, a study from Gallup, as well as an organization called Healthways. And what they did is determine financial well-being. So it's not just income, but does your income cover important things? And they had different criteria for their list. First of all, enough money to buy food, so comparing your income to average costs of eating that stuff. Enough money for health care, enough money to do everything you want. I'd be curious how they defined everything, but yeah, that's nice. Because there are a lot of things right. I would like to do. Exactly. Macrame in the nude, for example, is on Damn. my list. There you go. I've heard, I'm telling you. Uh, other criteria, in the last seven days, have you worried about money? And then, I thought this one was interesting, compared to the people you spend time with, you are satisfied with your standard of living. Mm. So I guess basically you look around at the people around you and feel like, yeah, I'm doing about the same as these folks, as opposed to looking around you and seeing a lot of people who are doing better than you and maybe you're not so satisfied. Right, right. And, that, we, and we've talked about that also before in the past, like when you hang out with people who have more money than you, you try, start trying to keep up with the Joneses and all that stuff. So, right. Anyway. Right. right. So, according to this well-being index, mm-hmm. the top five states, the financial well-being, mm-hmm. are Hawaii, Alaska, 
North Dakota, Wyoming, and South Dakota. Oh, no, I'm suddenly skeptical of this study. <laughs> Hawaii and Alaska are extremely expensive places to live. I mean, at least Hawaii is. I assume stuff is not cheap in Alaska either. Yeah, I thought about that, especially in terms of Hawaii. And as someone who grew up in Florida, close to the beach, similar type of situation. And I think if you if you love the beach and you live there, it doesn't. Once you've paid your your housing, you don't have to pay anything additional, right? You just go to the beach for all your entertainment. And yeah, you're but a very Big happy. Mac costs like ten bucks in Alaska or not Alaska in Hawaii, right? Does it really? Oh, well, ten bucks. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna have to Google it. But I mean, if you wanna like. I mean, you don't have to take my hyperbole seriously, but eight bucks. Seriously, man, Rick did. Rick was fast on the research. Eight bucks for a Big Mac. I mean, how happy can you be in the face of eight dollars for the like cheapest piece of food you can get in America? I mean, in the mainland. That is a good question. Other than pointing out that they do have higher income, so with a higher income, I they must be so. able to buy more Big Macs. I, I guess so. All right, so now we know the states where people make the most money, and we know the states where people at least make enough money to pay for stuff, but which states are the smartest with their money? That is a great question. And fortunately, we have a report from WalletHub that provides at least an answer according to their criteria. They have 2016's most and least financially savvy states. And they looked at all kinds of criteria, but you would break it down into things like spending and debt, financial literacy, credit rank, meaning like the credit score, as well as how much and how well they use their credit, and savings rank. And the top five states, according to WalletHub, the people who are the smartest with their money, Minnesota, New Hampshire, North Dakota, <laughs> Connecticut, and New York. All right. And I thought this was interesting because um, I'm, I'm always curious about what are the behaviors, predictors, indicators of future financial success. And a lot of it is stuff you cannot do. For example, taller people are going to have higher lifetime income. People of Russian ancestry have higher lifetime income. All kinds of things that you can't do much about right. in your life. But this looks at what people do with their money, measures things like credit score. So when I, when I saw that North Dakota was turning up on a lot of these lists, I was a little concerned because this is all this stuff is based on numbers from a few years ago, even current reports. North Dakota was doing very well because of the oil boom. It's not doing so well now. In fact, just mm -hmm. a week ago, uh, they announced that there's this fund that they set up in 1987 to put that the state of North Dakota to sock away money during oil booms so it could rely on it during the Smart bust. for them. It's about to go out of money. Oops. That's how much the drop in oil is affecting them. But then when you dig into this survey or the study from WalletHub, you see that there are actually other reasons why people in North Dakota are coming out high on these lists. For example, they have a very high credit score. Hmm. And if there's one thing I would look at about someone and, and to predict how their life is going to play out in terms of finances, it would be credit score. So people in North Dakota not only benefited from the oil boom, but they have good financial habits, which makes me feel like, okay, they're going to weather they're this pretty well. Okay. They're going to be okay. Wall drug, here we come. Wall drug! Have you been to Wall drug? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I love Wall drug. Have you been? You got to. We got to take a road trip. We got to do no. the Motley Fool Answers yeah. road trip. Where we're going to go to the Dakotas and the villages. That'd be awesome. It's not on the way. 
anyone who is a uh, who is a willing sponsor, contact us. <laughs> Rent the RV and put us on the road. I don't know that I want to do that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another stat that we think is important because you, our dear Motley Fool Answers listeners, know that health and wealth go hand in hand, like two peas in a pod, like ham and cheese, like stuff that goes together. So, <laughs> let's talk about what are the healthiest states. This comes from America's Health Rankings Annual Report, and they looked at trends in obesity, smoking, diabetes, and physical inactivity. And their top five states were... Do you want me to say it? You You go ahead. That's what I have in front of me. Number one, Hawaii, again! There we go. Number two, Vermont. Three, Massachusetts. Four, Minnesota. And five, New Hampshire. And a lot of these states also rank high on a lot of these other financially related rankings. So I've done a lot of reading about this, and there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, whether people who are healthy accumulate more wealth or that wealthy people are healthier. It could be that because people are healthy, they don't have to spend as much on health care, they don't miss work, things like that. On the other hand, it could you, if it starts with the wealth, it's because wealthier people can afford better health care. Um, they don't have a lot of financial stress, things like that. But regardless, when you look at these studies of healthiest states and states that are doing well financially, there's a lot of correlation there. All right, so health, obviously important, but another important thing that we wanted to point out was, which state is the most drunk? (laughs) And there's science behind this, by the way, people. And um, so, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the states with the highest alcohol consumption are... New Hampshire, Washington, D.C., and Delaware. In New Hampshire, their per capita alcohol consumption is about 4,600 gallons. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of booze. But, oh, and also, this no, in case you prefer craft beer, uh, Vermont has the highest number of craft breweries. There are 8.6 craft breweries per 100,000 people. Oregon has 7.4 per 100,000 people, and Colorado has 6.1. Why should we care about the alcohol consumption in a state, bro? Because, perhaps, to your surprise, or perhaps not, generally people who drink are better off financially than people who don't drink. See, some of you listeners thought it was going to go the other That's way. That's right. That's right. So I'm looking here at a study called No Booze You May Lose by Bethany Peters and Edward Stringham. And basically what they found is that the people who do drink more make more money than the people who abstain. And by the way, I'm someone who does not drink, so perhaps I should change some of my habits here. There's some theories about this. So it could be that um, you have more social capital. You're right. going out and you're drinking more. So, for example, they found out that men that go out to bars at least once a month earn an additional 7% on the top of the 10% that the average drinker makes above the people oh, who abstain. So, okay. not only should you drink, you should go out to a bar and do that. At least once a week. At once a month. At least once a month. That's right. not bad. I can handle that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's now move on because money isn't everything and look at the overall quality of life. And this comes to us from the OECD, which I think stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. They ranked the states according to quality of life. And they looked at employment rate, income, air pollution, crime, civic engagement, life expectancy, percentage of the population with high school degree, and self reported life satisfaction. So, 
Bro, who topped the list for overall quality of life? The answer is... Number one, New Hampshire. Two, Minnesota. Number three, Vermont. Four, Iowa. And five, North Dakota. One of the Dakotas comes in again. Minnesota and Vermont and New Hampshire, I feel like, keep popping up. They do. They do. Uh, And unfortunately... If you are to look at the bottom, not only in this and many of the rankings we've talked about, you're once again going to see, frankly, a lot of states from the South. So you're looking at uh, the bottom five for this list. West Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, and Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't don't know that I really want to live in... uh New Hampshire, Minnesota, Vermont, Iowa, or North Dakota. They're just very cold. Like Hawaii I could get down with. I can get down with that. But I don't I don't know that I could do these cold states. You just gotta get you gotta do the the old snowbird thing. Get the little get the little condo in Florida or Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Go there for the winter. Rent it out in the summer. Sure, yeah. Make extra money. It's an investment. That's it. Airbnb it. Yep. Uh well we actually took some quizzes to find out where we should actually be living personally. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, there are a bajillion factors that go into determining the best place to live, and it's up to your personal whatever you want. So, but there are quizzes online because, of course, the internet. And um, do you want to guess where they thought I should live? One was Portland, right? One was Portland, yeah, Portland, Oregon. And I'm from, like, I'm from Boise, Idaho. So the idea of retiring to Portland is kind of like, eh, okay, all right, I can get behind that. I know one place. North Dakota. No, not North Dakota. Uh, I was also told that I should retire to a university town, a a small college town, which I'm like, yes, I can totally get behind that. Uh, And then also Scandinavia. I got Scandinavia in another quiz. That's good. So that's cool. I can get behind behind that one too. No, it's not a state, but that one one just sent me right out of the United States and said, go to Scandinavia. (laughs) We don't want you here. Yeah. So what'd what'd you get, bro? Uh, I did it, and both both of the things I got were out of the United States as well. One was Barcelona. Nice. Because, quote, you're known to have unique taste in everything, and you're proud of it. Yes. You know what that means. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and the other one was Costa Rica. That's not bad. Which, coincidentally, we're thinking of going to for our vacation this summer. So maybe I'll find out. Maybe I'll never come back. We'll see. We had a great time in Costa Rica. Rick, what did you get? Uh, I got Montana, for one. Nice. Which is ironic. I'm on my way there for a vacation soon. And then I'm going to be Robert's neighbor in Costa Rica. <laughs> and or, Jeff Fisher's neighbor. It just gets better. Or I will perhaps be Allison's neighbor in Portland. Hey! Let's there's go. a reason we're, we're all some friends. Patico. Let's go for coffee. We I'd definitely like a $5 pour over, that like <laughs> some fancy schmancy thing. And a craft brew. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You totally belong in the Pacific Northwest. Well, you know, I will close this episode by saying, sorry, South Dakota, I'm sure you are really great and some people love living in you, but maybe you're not for me because I belong in Portland, Oregon or Scandinavia. All her people treating her just like they never Lord, the winter passes slow in rapid city, South If I could afford it, I would have a house in Japan and Bermuda and some other place with a lot of artisanal cheese makers. (laughs) But above all, I love America best. 
Don't you? I don't know. I do. I do. Of, I all, of all the countries I've been born in, this is my favorite. This is the favorite country that I've been born in, too. But what do other countries think of us? I decided to ask our community of internationally based fools to chime in on how they perceive Americans, and I got some great responses. You ready to hear them? I'm ready. All right. So, Matt, he heads up our Motley Fool Germany office, and he said, in Germany, the Americans are the ones not wearing scarves. And he writes, note, this works in all seasons. <laughs> I don't know what they wear, they wear scarves in the summer in Germany. Yeah, like jaunty little scarfy scarves, I assume. So John from our UK office writes, everything but everything is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> to which I replied, well, yes, it is. He said, an American says everything is awesome, whereas a British person says, some things aren't too bad on a good day anyway. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I have many different British accents, by the way. All, all various stages of horrible. Burned in Germany writes uh, as well. He agrees. Americans are the ones who say, that's awesome, to almost anything. <laughs> Heather uh, in the UK office was nice enough to collect a number of different things from people and put it all in one email for me. So she wrote, uh, some of the responses were, they'll claim to be Irish just because their great granddad's brother's friend visited Dublin once. <laughs> They say, I could care less. Surely that means you do care? Hashtag confused. Another person wrote, loud, much energy, very friendly. Another person wrote, half and half milk, what is that? Which I think, I don't think half and half milk is that confusing. Like it's half cream, half milk, right? Another person wrote, the average American is almost certain to base their English accent off of a 90s rom-com or a 19th century chimney sweep. All right, or, governor. Or... Monty Python. It's oh. got to be Monty Python. Or Monty Python? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the best thing about America is that you have so many cool accents to try out. There's the New York Gangster, the Texan Cowboy, Valley Girl. So many possibilities. And I've done them all on this show, <laughs> haven't I? All right. Joe, uh, Joe Mager out in Australia wrote that Americans are loud. He learned this while living in Australia. And when he went back for his first time uh, back to the U.S. to visit, I wondered why everyone was shouting. But it turns out I'd just gotten used to a lower level of volume. <laughs> I'm so guilty of this. I'm so loud. Uh, Scott Phillips had some very lovely things to say. He is also in Australia. He said, Americans are optimistic, driven, and I love that you guys just go after what you want. You're also the people we won the America's Cup from back in 83. Oh, yeah, it happened. And we love that you love Crocodile Dundee and Keith Urban. Oh, and one word, Ameristralia. You'll just have to look it up. Do you know what Ameristralia is? I have no idea. Do you guys know? Okay. So I did look it up. Uh, it was basically started on a Reddit page to celebrate the symbiotic relationship between America and Australian Redditors on the site's front page, due mainly to the opposite time zones. So I think someone posted, that's it for today in America, your turn, Australia Redditors, and then in the next day it like took off. So it took off as a pretty big meme. If you look it up on Urban Dictionary, it says, Australia, the union of the greatest country in the world and the deadliest island. Australia rules all of the day and all of the night. Founded in 2013, Australia is the newest and most kick-ass country to ever exist. The national flag has stars, stripes, and a few more stars and stripes to make it the most star and stripey flag in human history. The national animal is the eolg. Eolalga and the ferocious blend of koala and eagle that rules the skies and terrorizes the ground. <laughs> the internet never sleeps with Ameristralias on duty for life, liberty, and the pursuit of not being bitten by a venomous snake. God bless Ameristralia. Robert is in Canada and he writes, the one thing that I've always noticed when visiting the States, I believe is rooted in a commerce-oriented society that's always on. It's an almost absurd level of friendliness. <laughs> 
So, and the last one, Erin in Australia, she asked her kids how they perceived Americans and what they thought. And so they wrote, they talk funny. They use like a lot and they finish their sentences with right. They shorten their words. For example, you all becomes y'all. They don't pronounce my name right. And this was coming from Harry, who said, it sounds like Harry. <laughs> Of course. Like, oh, nuts. What is the right way to pronounce Harry? Harry? <laughs> Harry? I don't know. So they eat lots of hot dogs and pizza. And the last one uh, from Erin and her kids is Americans are cool. And when she asked them why, they said, just because they are American. So there you go. <laughs> uh, My son told me about an article that he read and that, you know, generally we all think that we all spoke like the English and had that accent and then Americans came to America and developed our own accent, but actually it's the other way around. Centuries ago, everyone sounded like Americans and it was the English who changed their accent. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> they did it by analyzing old poems and seeing what words rhymed and things oh, like that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's mostly true. I recommend the History of English podcast. Listen to it and you'll get the real answer. Oh, okay. Thanks. Well, there we nice go. plug. There you go. <laughs> and of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Motley Fool Answers if I didn't ask you, the listeners, for a favor. And today's favor is to go to podcasts.fool.com and answer our listener survey. It'll help us serve you better, and it only takes a couple of minutes. You can do it anonymously and... I'll really appreciate it. So the survey, again, is online at podcast.fool.com. And thanks in advance. You're the best. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thank you all for joining us and celebrating all of the wonderful things that make America, America. Um, I love this country, but I also love other countries, too. Yeah. God bless you all. God God bless 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 each one of us. (laughs) <laughs> All right. The show is edited patriotically by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Mm-hmm.